Well, I sat down to write a sermon earlier this week and I couldn't get anywhere with anything other than this. So today we're going to talk about giving. Next Sunday we're having a gift day and there's much more to what I'm saying today and our gift day next week than merely fundraising. It's said that there are two subjects that most churches and preachers avoid, sex and money. Yet those are the two things that profoundly control and mess up our lives very much. The Bible contains a lot of teaching about finances, uh, generosity and material possessions. In fact, someone counted 2,350 verses on that wide topic. And it's clear to me, though, and others have made the same comment, that there is a long-term problem with giving in this church, historic, going back decades. Let me show you again. Not to make a big fuss about it, but that's the bank balance for Lighthouse over the last year, March 2016 to 2017. The only reason it picks up at the end there is that altogether there's something like £4,000 of exceptional income came in. Part loan, part gift from, from Epping. Otherwise we'd have been right at the bottom of the scale. And there is the, the uh, income over the last year for Lighthouse. Taking just tithes and offerings, excluding gift aid coming back, and any other income such as uh, renting a hall out to be an election station or whatever. All right? Now, look at the huge swings. June, is it June? June time. April, May, June. Nearly £12,000 that month. In October 2016, over ten. again. And yet other months barely keeping above five, which is nowhere near what we need to actually continue. Now, I, I can't explain that really because surely all of us are paid monthly and we're paid pretty much the same amount every month. So there's something else going on, which seems to be this, that some people give but sometimes, not regularly. Maybe they give when they're asked to or reminded to. Maybe when we talk about a particular need. And I know that in October 2016, we talked about tithing that month and the income went up that month, but then it tailed down afterwards. See, I'm not here to talk about need to you. I'm not here to ask for your money. That's far from being a good reason for giving. It's much better and bigger than that. So we're looking again today... At money. You see, generous and faithful giving for us as Christians is an essential part of being a disciple. Let me put it this way, really simple words. Jesus teaches us to be givers. Yes. He teaches us that. Right? Luke 6 verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. The picture is of you holding a sack or you're holding out your apron and someone's putting grain in it, yeah, yeah? wheat. And, 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 and they, they put grain in the, in the, or a basket. They put it in and they shake it down and they put some more in. And until it's spilling over the top, they don't stop. Good measure, shaken down, running over. For by the standard of your measure... It will be measured to you in return. In other words, Jesus is saying, as much as you are generous, you will find generosity comes back to you. The measure you use will be measured back to you. Who said that? Jesus said that. That's why I put the red letter. I I like using red letter Bibles. Jesus said it. Then Jesus says this, when you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honoured by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. You want a pat on the back? You've got a pat on the back. Go home. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then in Acts 20, I haven't picked all the verses that Jesus talks about these things. There's this interesting thing here. Paul preaching, sorry, talking to the Ephesian elders says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
Now, those words aren't recorded in any of the Gospels, but the disciples remembered them. They became part of the currency of early church life, and Paul repeated them, and Luke recorded them. So we have them here from the Holy Spirit. I'm going to come back in a while to what the Lord Jesus said about money, but the big issue is giving, not money. So I've got six points for you today. And, of course, I'm a preacher, so everything begins with P. I don't even work at those things. They just... That's the way my brain's wired, okay? Number one, the priority of giving. The priority of giving. Why should we give? And I have a one-word answer. God. As simple as that. We give to Him in love, in faith, and in obedience. Giving to God is part of our covenantal relationship with him. He is provider and protector and our parent, our father. I came into peace again. And in return, we honor him with giving. It's part of the relationship, part of the contract. It's, it goes back to Abraham. God blessed him, he tithed. You find Abraham's grandson Jacob understanding. He's coming into that kind of relationship with God. At Bethel, through the revelation he had there of of the angels of God and so on. And the response of Jacob was, if you will bless me, I'll give you back a tenth of everything I get. Giving to God is part of that relationship. He asks us to do it. In the scripture, we give to him to display our gratitude and our dependence upon him and to honor him. And we are stewards, not owners. That's the teaching of Jesus. What we have, we've received, and we are stewards of it. It isn't ours to do exactly what we please with. So not only in our giving, but even in what we then spend in other ways, our expenditure. We have to handle finances for the glory of God. We're stewards. What we have come, came from God, and we give back to him not only what was his, but still is his. George Muller, I haven't time to talk about George Muller, let me just tell you what he said. If we are indeed acting as stewards and not as owners, he will make us stewards over more. When we, what we have, we don't hold as ours, he'll trust us with even more to handle yeah. on his behalf. David, at the dedication of the great offering the people brought to fund the building of the temple, prayed this. This is quoted in the Anglican morning service. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give, to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you. And from your hand we have given you. Do you get that? I'm not giving my money, I'm giving back his money. All things come from you. And from your hand, we have given you. Our thinking about money and about whose money is it and how much should I get is is, is warped. We've we've been moved away from the scriptures. That's the Bible truth. All things are his. Even when they come into my hands, they're still his. And so from his hand... We give him. Giving is worship. Worshiping the Lord. We, I, I, I loved the worship time earlier. I was glad to be in that and involved in that. Worshiping the Lord is not just songs and prayers, though. It is obedience. It is deeds and actions. It includes our giving. We give as worship to him. Because worship simply means this, giving somebody what they're worth. In the marriage service, we say in rather old-fashioned English in a way, with my body, I worship you. I will devote myself to you and I will give you what you're worth in affection and intimacy and so on. Okay, now he's talking about sex. Okay, well, okay, money and sex in one morning. There you go. Worship is giving to somebody what they're worth. So giving to God is worship. So it matters to the Lord that that we give 
It is faithfulness on our part towards him. It's far more than church budget or a project. It matters to God because it's about our relationship with him. And Jesus teaches us to give. Number two, there's a purpose of giving. What is giving to God and into a local church to be used to? Well, the principles, we didn't invent them. They were set by the Lord many years ago, long time ago. They are these, to fund the worship of God and the work of the gospel and to fund the community of the saints, to provide for needs within the the local family. And it is a Bible principle that those who give themselves to leadership and preaching and teaching should be supported by their brothers and sisters through giving. It's mentioned five or six times in the New Testament. I'm going to give you just one of the scriptures here. I want you to notice it. 1 Corinthians 9. The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. That's what they work at, they should be paid for. I want you to notice something. He doesn't commend it, he commands it. It's his instruction. Nowadays, there's not just salary or, or honorarium or whatever you want to call it that to be given to those who who serve in that way, but there's often other costs as well, like pension, pension funds need to be paid in, and if someone's an employee, national insurance as well. There's other costs that come in as well, in our modern age. So first of all, support of those who lead and preach and teach is commanded by the Lord to be funded by the giving of the saints. Then, unless we want to meet in homes, we could do We need to have a venue to gather together. We need to own one or pay the rent on one or, as we are here, paying the mortgage on one. We want a venue? Okay. We're talking this week uh, with Hortense about how when people came over from the West Indies and other places in years gone by, they, they weren't received by the mainstream churches, and I'm really sad about that. So they got together and they did it for themselves. They went and found a building and put all their money in and their effort in and bought it. And to this day, independent churches like some of the charismatic churches and house churches are still doing the same thing. They're buying warehouses and converting them. And they're doing it without, often without borrowing a penny. They're doing it by sacrificially giving together to make it happen. Yeah? Ownership. Because we want a venue, we'll make it happen. We're going to do this together. And from that venue, from that building, from that resource, they can begin to serve the community in outreach and service, as we do here with babies and toddlers, with young at heart on the Thursday, with KCC on the Thursday, with men's groups that meet here, with a women's prayer group that meets here. It's a venue for use. And then... We as a church tithe and give. We tithe to Elim headquarters and we support other gospel and Christian work including Street Pass System. And those three things make up the biggest part of our expenditure. That's what it's used for. That's biblically what it should be used for as well. There are three ways that we give and I know I've said this many times we may be new to some of you. Three kinds of giving in the scriptures. First is tithing. Tithing means giving 10% of our income back to the Lord. And it's not a top line, it's a baseline. It's where we start at. Let me briefly set out again for you why I believe tithing is biblical and appropriate as a baseline for our giving to God. Firstly, tithing is not law or legalism. It's not law because Abraham and Jacob lived 400, no, more than 400 years, more, almost 600 years before the law. Neither is it legalism, but I acknowledge that it can be taught and acted in a legalistic way. When I'm under law, this is not about raiding Leviticus and applying those scriptures to us. We're saying this is covenantal. This, is, this goes back to what it is to be a person who lives by faith. To honour the Lord with the tithe. It's not law. And it carries prophetic promise. I'm going to read you the promise. I'm going to come back to it in a minute. This is a specific promise in Scripture. Malachi 3. Will a man rob God? They were building the temple, rebuilding the temple after 70 years in captivity. And Malachi used to preach to them about, you've left this off and you're not honouring God. Will a man rob God? You're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? 
in tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will the vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. I like the Hebrew word there for delightful land. It's beulah. That's a lovely word. I'm going to come back to those verses in a little minute. Just want you to notice, this issue of the tithe specifically is hedged around by a tremendous challenge and promise of God, which I accept and I receive. But tithing is also supported by the Lord Jesus. Twice in the Gospels you read this, Matthew and in Luke. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Karen and I have come herbs at the moment by God. Can you imagine if we went down there and snipped a tenth of the herbs and brought them here on a Sunday? That's the kind of what, what they were doing. And had neglected the weightier provisions of the law, such as justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these things, justice, mercy and faithfulness, you should have done without neglecting the others. Without neglecting what, Jesus? What is he talking about? Tithing. There are things more important than tithing, but don't neglect tithing. And scripture records Jesus as saying that on two occasions. Repeated, And it's a biblical principle, it's a principle of Bible interpretation that in the mouth of two or three witnesses it's established. If you read it once you need to find some other thing, some other scriptures that support it. But when it's stated clearly twice or three times, it's established. Jesus said something about tithing and that is what he said. He supported it. Tithing is giving 10% of all our income back to God and to the church we're part of. Not distributing it, in, distributing it around. It's brought into the storehouse, into the house of God, which, let me say again, is a community, not a building, of which you are a member. And the 10% is where we begin to learn to adventure in giving. It's a baseline, not a top line. In fact, whenever the Lord speaks about the tithe in scriptures, he declares that it belongs to him and it's holy to him. Tithing is also connected in scripture to first fruits. When someone, back in those days, the economy of Israel, you know, which is agricultural, when someone began to harvest their grain, the first sheaf was cut, was given to the Lord. When they gathered fruit from their orchards, the first basket was for the Lord. So Paul uses this language in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians that our giving to God is our first fruits. It's the first item of our budget, the first payment after we've received our income. Personally, I do that every month. I've occasionally missed and done it the first day or two of the following month because I forgot. I don't even do it by being a standing one. I'm not knocking you if you do, but I, 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 like to, I like to make the payment. Decide I'm doing it. The first thing, salary is coming in, first priority. That's going out. Back into the Lord's hands. Tithing, first fruits. The first, the best. Before you eat, you give back. Before you spend, you give back. First fruits. Again, this is a heart issue we need to get hold of. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of all your income. Why? We'll see why in a minute. The second way that the Bible teaches us to give is offerings, which is why we've got tithes and offerings. It's not just a phrase, it's meaningful. Offerings are in addition to tithes, they're what you give extra. And it's after the tithe that the Bible uses phrases like offering and sacrifice. An offering may be an individual decision and action. I just want to give this as thanksgiving to God on top of my usual giving. Great. 
The language can, comes from the Old Testament where people would bring a free will offering to the Lord. It wasn't required of them. They chose to. It was a response of their heart. Over and above what they were asked to give, they gave that as well. But when we contribute together to something, we, we want to do, I don't know, we want to recarpet here, right? Something like that. We say, okay, we're going to have a collection together because we're putting the money together. But every one of us gives an offering into the collection. You see how those words work? That's how Paul, I've tried not to go to Corinthians, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, because it would take much longer even if I did that. But Paul uses that kind of language. You made an offering, we gather a collection, we're going to do this together. That's the way it works. Paul switches between those words, offering and collection in Corinthians. Third way of giving is this, alms. I'm using the old English word that you get in the King James. When you give to the poor, we just read in in uh, uh, the New American Standard Version. Alms is supplying the needy. It's charitable giving. Not necessarily giving to a charity, giving to someone directly. You can give to charity, you can give it to help people, but you could give it directly to help some people. It's what the Lord Jesus spoke of in Matthew 6, 2, 4. When you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Having tithed and even made further offerings, we're still to be ready to help the needy. And any one of us may have particular charities we want to give something to each month. Third P. There is a personal effect or impact of giving. It does something in us and to us. First of all, it focuses us on God and his provision. What I've got, I've received from God, and I'm going to give back to God. It puts God right in the middle of this whole earning, cash flow, bank thing. Puts him center. It reminds us again that we're stewards and not owners. And it deals with the love of money. It puts us to some organization of our time and our cash. To give and then to give more is a workout for our hearts, our souls. And by the way, those two words are pretty much synonymous in the Bible. So I'm going to give you now what the Lord Jesus says about money. And I've said these things before. I'm going to read you a big chunk of Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, and water leaks all over your house. I'm just adding that in because that's But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. How many of you know that covetousness is about you see it, you want it? It's why advertising works. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus is still really talking about money, because listen, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And Jesus there uses the name of a false god, Mammon. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and your, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to your life? Yeah. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, or the bluebells of this time of year. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. 
Do not worry, they're saying. What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? The Gentiles, people who don't know God, eagerly seek all these things, but your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The Lord Jesus spoke of this in a different way on another occasion, repeating some of what we've just heard. I say to you, to who? Well, you, me, today. I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the, and he uses the word again, mammon of unrighteousness. Use unrighteous mammon to do some good, to make some lasting friends, eternal friends. So that when it fails, you will they will receive you into eternal dwellings. Use unrighteous mammon to make some people believers. To help some people to follow Jesus. So that when you meet up in heaven, they say, thank you for investing in me. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, mammon, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And then he says again, no servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Mammon. Then in explaining and applying the parable of the seed and the soils, Jesus says this, and again it's, it's in two parts of the scripture here. The seed that falls among thorns, they are like those who've heard. As they go on their way, they choke. I, I, I always do that when I think, hear that word, choke. They're choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Mark has it slightly differently. The worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Some people misquote God's word cannot fail to bear fruit. Yes, it can. It can be choked by those things. The worries of the world, deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things. I'm going to give you a phrase here. I'll explain it. I want you to see this. Our treasure is our measure. Now the world would explain that by saying, of course it is. You're measured by how rich you are or how much you earn. What's your income? What job do you do so I can guess your income? In other words, how much treasure have you got? Now I know what you're worth. Now I know who you are. The world will measure you by your wealth. But the Lord is teaching us something different to that. Very, very different to that. We are measured by what we treasure. We are measured by what we treasure. What we love. And you cannot serve God and money. Jesus talked about being rich towards God. Are we rich towards God or is money actually taking the place of God? We are measured by our deeds and we're measured by our giving. That's what the Lord Jesus tells us. We deceive ourselves. I know I said this last week. Let me say it again, please. We deceive ourselves by thinking or saying, oh, I know I do this and I fail to do that, but my heart really is like this. Jesus teaches us very plainly that good trees produce good fruit and bad trees produce bad fruits and a good man produces good things out of his good heart and an evil man brings out evil things from his evil heart. Did Jesus say that? Yes. Trees are known by their fruit. So what comes out was in there. It was in there. Our hearts are seen and revealed in our words and our actions and our works, including how we handle money and giving. Did you notice how the Lord Jesus talks about money? He says three things about it that I've picked up in, and I've done this a number of times. It's deceitful, it's unreliable, it's a false god. 
Jesus uses that word mammon when speaking of money sometimes. He uses other words at other times, and I'm not going to give you them. I'm not worried about that. But it's interesting when he chooses this word mammon, because he's talking about the battle or the conflict between serving, loving God, and serving, loving money. And whenever he uses money, he uses this word that makes money a false god. It's meant to shake us and alert us. Jesus asks us the serious question, do you love and serve the Lord or do you love and serve wealth? And you know that I'm, I, I refuse to have anything to do with prosperity teaching and the word of faith movement. This, if I must sum up my concerns in one sentence, I would I'd probably do it like this. My chief concern about that whole thing is it teaches Christians to love money. And that is directly contrary to the teaching of Jesus. It teaches Christians to love money and that is the opposite of what my Lord Jesus teaches us. You know, your physical heart needs a healthy diet and exercise and rest. But your inner man needs to fight against sin in every form. And the love of money is beaten down by embracing giving generously and faithfully for God's glory. And then by handling what we have left as stewards. We are dealing with the love of money. Because these things will get us unless we fight them. Yeah. Yeah. The way you fight gluttony is you're disciplined in your eating. The way you fight the love of money is you're disciplined in handling your money. And first of all, first priority, give to God what belongs to you. We give for the glory of God and for our own good. Let me put it like this. For the good of your own soul. You need to embrace the discipline of generous and faithful giving. Giving is a clear indicator of our maturity and of our love for the Lord. Our treasure is our measure. There's no escaping it, is what Jesus teaches us. Number four, is giving profitable? Of course it is. I know that people abuse the scripture, but Jesus said it. We read it earlier. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And maybe it means more than grain, right? <laughs> You're glad to hear that, aren't you? You, just don't, you? you don't really want just sacks and sacks of wheat on your front door. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. The way you handle this, it'll be handled, you will be handled in the same way. Now, who's going to do that? People are, but who's going to make sure it ha- that happens? God is. God's word says the measure you use will be measured to you. Giving will be rewarded. The Lord will provide to those who give generously. But giving money back is not necessarily, sorry, giving money is not necessarily rewarded only by receiving money. The blessing and grace of God is bigger and wider than that. Now let's go back to Malachi. I just want to go through some of the scriptures with you. The Lord said to the people of that time, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. So there's no lack together as a community and test me now in this says the Lord of God Lord of hosts if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows bring the whole tithe where to his storehouse to that his house that in New Testament language is family community of God you don't distribute it to many houses and various causes scripture doesn't tell you to do that tells you not to do that bring it into the storehouse And he then promises to open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing more than we can contain. But he doesn't say, I'll open the door of the bank and give you heaps of money. (laughs) He uses the words windows of heaven and blessing. Blessing may include more cash flow, positive provision from God, but it's much, much bigger than that. Blessing is more than money. In fact, in the next verse of Malachi 3, he says this, then I will rebuke the devourer for you. In other words, the enemy, the, the, the opposition is turned back. And if you read on in that verse, the course of events is changed. Things that are unfruitful become fruitful. Things that were being stolen from you are no longer stolen from you. God's hand will be with us. He will rebuke the devourer. Notice who does the rebuking? God. He rebukes the devourer for us. In a very similar word, Haggai prophesied this in a similar situation. 
in the Old Testament history of, of, of Israel. You have sown much but harvest little. You eat but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing but no one's warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put it into a purse with holes. John Piper, great American preacher, puts that in this way. If your purse is not open, I haven't got my wallet, it's in my back. If your purse is not open at the top with ties and arms of all you earn, God will sooner or later put holes in the bottom. <laughs> I believe John Piper's right in saying that. Now, does this mean we can buy our way out of trouble? No. Because there's all kinds of trouble and then all the same kind of trouble. Just as some sickness may be connected to a sin, but not always, so that's why we mustn't judge people when they're sick and say, what did you do? So trouble may be disciplined from the Lord, but certainly it is not always disciplined from the Lord. But I do believe that God's promise of blessing and of change of circumstances holds true if we are faithful in handling finance in a godly way, which is putting God first. I also need to say that this prophetic challenge and promise is not just just to us individually. He speaks to us as a community, to all of us together. God speaks to his family here. The church is made uh, up of us together, and God deals with us at the same time individually and as a community. So these scriptures apply to you and me, but also to us. There are things that happen amongst us that will change when we together get hold of some of these principles. Can our faithful tithing and giving really bring about a change in circumstances personally and collectively? I believe the Lord says yes. That is what his promise is here. Even challenging us in these words to put him to the test. That's the only place in scripture God invites that. Test me. Try it. See. Test me. Whether what I'm saying is true. The Lord says that to us. Is giving profitable, rewarding? The Bible says so. He dares us to try it and see, to test his promise. And number five, there's a position of giving. All right? Put your pen and paper down just a moment. These dear people who write, so put it down for a moment, please, all of you. Lift your hands up before you. Just put your hands open in front of you. When did you last see that? Well, some people worshipping maybe. But you know what? If you offer a child a sweet or a toy, that's exactly what they do. They put out both hands. You can pick up your paper again now. Thank you. They open their hands to receive it. Now I've got a saying, another saying for you. It's from me. The hand that gives nothing or little, kind of gives like this, is open only to receive nothing or little back. A heart and hand that are open can receive openly. But a heart and a hand that are closed can only receive what can some squeeze in through the fingers. The measure you use will be measured to you. Who said that? Only Jesus said that. The Lord teaches us to live with an open heart and an open hand. And it's because our hand is open that we're positioned to receive again from him. Give, receive. Give, receive. It's the way of faith. It's one of the ways in which the righteous live by faith. With an open heart and an open hand. It's the way of grace. Giving as faithful stewards and as generous children of God releases us from the burden of our own financial needs. Jesus said in that passage in Matthew 6, why do you worry about where the next meal is coming from? Put my righteousness and kingdom first. These things will be added to you. It releases us from financial pressure because it's in his hands. That's what we read in. Matthew 6, and the last verse there, seek first the kingdom of God, is a statement about giving as much as it's about anything else. Scripture clearly teaches us that it's a direct connection between what we give and what God gives to us. It's about supply, it's about, it's about a, a, a flow, giving and receiving. 
The principle of reaping what you sow runs through the Bible and is stated to be unbreakable. God is not a liar. You can't break that one. But you'll reap what you sow. But I'm going to go to one of those scriptures here. It's a bit too small. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. Happens in my garden. Oh, seeds are expensive. I'm just going to put five in here. So I get five lettuces for the rest of the year. You've got to sow generously to reap generously. The measure you use will be measured to you. Who's going to see to that? I have to tell you, God himself will see to that. Because it's an unbreakable principle. He's He's not going to lie. He's not going to be shown a liar. You sow generously... You reap generously. You sow narrowly, miserly. That's, that's the measure you'll receive. God says it, and he will not change his mind on that. And by the way, those appeals on TV, etc., to send us your seed money, that's an abuse of Scripture. Because in Scripture, your tithes and your offerings are your seed money, and they should be going to the church of which you're part. You sow into the gospel in the local church. Five pounds sent to some ministry is not seed money. You're welcome to support whoever you want to support, but, but, but calling that seed money and calling it inner seed money is an abuse of scripture. I've said it. Number six, practicalities of giving. I'm going to go through this quickly. The tithe, is it gross or net? Well, give to Caesar what Caesar's, and if you give to Caesar what Caesar's at the moment, you get gift aid, so if you earn money, you pay tax, you can get back in gift aid tax that you've already paid, and it'd be given to the people that you've contributed to. So as a charity, we can claim back the tax you've paid on what you give. But what if they cancelled gift aid? What would I do then? Well, I've already made that decision. I already give 10% of what God gives me before tax, not after so my giving wouldn't change if they changed gift aid. That's a decision from a long time ago. But that's a matter of conscience, right? How you work that out. And I also would say that uh, more recently I thought, you know what, I'm going to make sure when we sell something, you know, um, there's some other kind of income, we give a tenth of that as well. Yeah. Do you know why? Because I really want God to bless me. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah? Seriously, he says that's his promise. I think, yeah, I'm I'm up for that. Yeah. So, do you give weekly or monthly? Depends how you pay. Depends how you want to handle it. Either way, no problem. You can give by cash on a Sunday, check on a Sunday. You can make bank payments like I do. I I kind of get into my bank account and make a payment. You can set up a standing order because you know what you're paid every month and you can therefore say, well, on the same day of the month I get paid on the 27th, 28th or on the 29th. You know, you can do that. I tell you what we haven't done and I don't, right now I don't think we will do as Lighthouse. Even though Elim have offered the capacity to do it, we do not take credit cards and we will not take payments by phone. Because I do not want anyone to give out of debt. There's just a chance that, you know, oh, I'll give that because I don't have to think about paying it because it's coming out of credit card. I don't want to do that. And with Colin and and, and, uh, uh, Kevin, some years ago, we decided together, we will not do credit card giving and we'll not do giving by phone. We will not say to you on a Sunday, here's the machine or, you know, you can tap this or, you know. We do not want you to give from debt. If you could guarantee you were, it was coming straight out of your bank account and you could afford what you're giving, it would be another matter. But I can't, tr- I can't have that conversation with everybody. So we just won't do it. You think, well, you're not 21st century. Hallelujah! <laughs> There's a whole heap of the 21st century I'm uncomfortable with. And when you give and you're a taxpayer, if you declare it, and we've got new giving, uh, we've got new giving envelopes today, which are simpler than the old one. They basically say, if you haven't registered with us for gift aid, tell us here, and we will contact you to register. All right? Some of you thought if you signed it and ticked it, you, you, that, you automatically gift aided it. But you're only gift aiding if we know you're gift aiding if you've registered to gift aid. So let's be clear about that. 
You know, if you're a new person, a new giver, we'll deal with that. Give us your name and address and so on. We'll make sure you get the form. Sharon will get you the form. Get it back. We'll register you as a giver to Lighthouse. I started by saying that I believe that giving has been a long-term logjam for this Elam Church, what is now called Lighthouse. It goes back to Rob's days and even probably before Robert's days. If I use a biblical word for logjam, it would be... Anybody know? Stronghold. You look at the notes. <laughs> stronghold. If I talk about stronghold, you'll think it's something else, which I'm not talking about. Logjam. This, this just can't get through that. I am saying to you this morning, quite seriously, we need to see this logjam broken. Because there are things on the other side of it that God promises, which I don't even know what they are, but they're good. There's a logjam that needs blowing up so that God's blessing may overflow. And that blessing will be personal and collective as we are in this together. The church is the sum of all its members. How many of you know you can be in a meeting and if somebody's really got a bad attitude, it affects the... We are the sum of us together. We together make the church or even a meeting, a small group meeting, what it is. We bring it together. We've not got to grips with giving. We've... We're given God's promises of blessing if we'll break through this prayer. To give little or nothing is a decision made from our heart. There's no escaping that as being the truth. It's a decision. The Lord Jesus does indeed see our hearts, but he also sees our deeds. He says to the churches in Asia, I know your deeds. Sees our giving and tells us that those things actually display the measure of our hearts just as the thermometer displays the temperature. They don't have them so much nowadays. We used to see that kind of thing outside of church buildings. They had a giving project to, you know, to replace the steeple, to, 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 to repair the, whatever it was. And there'd be a giving thermometer outside. You know? Well, we've already learned again today. Our treasure is our measure. The way I handle money, for, whether or not for the glory of God, is a measure of my heart can't deny it. can't pretend. Our treasure is our measure. Giving is not doing your duty. It's not legalism. It's about heart and love and obedience and faith. Here's a quote I came across. I like this one. There are three kinds of giving. Grudge giving, duty giving, and thanksgiving. <laughs> Grudge giving says, I hate to do this. Duty giving says, I ought to do this. Thanksgiving says, I want to do this. Scripture says, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver, but it comes from the heart. Part of the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore of the gospel as well, is to set prisoners, captives free. Do you ever read that? He came to set captives free, to release from prison. I want to see people set free from both the love of money and the fear of poverty into living confidently in God's provision. In his, as they practice generosity and faithfulness and giving, they are knowing God's provision and faithfulness. And I want them to do that for their soul's sake, not for the sake of Lighthouse Cashflow. The love and pursuit of wealth is just simply really bad for us. That's what Jesus taught. It's to serve mammon as a false god. Giving from your heart faithfully, generously, even sacrificially is the best antidote to that. So give for the honor of God, for your own soul's sake, for your spiritual health and your general well-being. Again, three times in Scripture Jesus says this. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I want you to encourage you today to take a stand, a decision, that you, together with all of us, brothers and sisters together, we're going to see this logjam of giving broken. Amen. We together choose to give faithfully and generously for the Lord's sake and for our own sake and for the community's sake, because that's where the benefit comes. Next Sunday is a gift day. Pray, prepare and come with a gift, an offering, a sacrifice from your heart to the Lord. Then set your regular giving in place. Get advice on practicalities if you need to. 
And why don't you go and ask some people you know who are, have given faithfully to the Lord over many years for some of their stories of God's grace and God's provision. His faithfulness as they have firstly honoured him. But today is not May. Today is the last day of April. And today we close today. Before we close today, we have an opportunity again to give to the Lord in this month's response to him. Let's pray together. Then we're going to break bread. Giving is worship. That's why we tuck it in with singing a song and coming to the front. I, I, I just kind of want to keep it in worship. It's not sneaking a basket under you. It's not, it's not even a box at the door. I can understand having a box at the door. But it's like, is that worship? I want, to, I want to add something of worship to the way we give as well as what we give. That's why we do it this way. It's just my take on it. We'll be doing that in a while. But giving is worship. Giving the Lord what, we've, what we deem him to be worth. It's worth far more than I give him. Lord Jesus, we bow our hearts to your word. A great deal of what we've read today has been your very words, Red Letter Bible. And we're told we're to, allow, we're to have the word of Christ dwell richly in us. And we need to learn from you, Lord, attitudes of stewardship, attitudes towards money and the love of money, attitudes of generosity and faithfulness and even sacrifice and generosity. We need to learn these things. We pray, Holy Spirit, please help us. Right now, many people are being touched by that fear of poverty thing. Of, of, I, I couldn't afford, couldn't possibly, I couldn't help them to take a step of faith that breaks down that lie. That trust you for your provision. I pray that we might learn to step up in this journey of faith. The just shall live by faith and that includes the way we handle cash flow and income. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you might be honoured by our giving and that we might know your blessing as you, as you promise, respond to us. The measure we use will be measured to us. That's good news. That's good news. You'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing more than we can handle. That's wonderful news. I want to believe your promise and live accordingly. We surrender our hearts to you now, Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't yet know you as God and Saviour. The Holy Spirit will continue to work in them and lead them to Jesus. Point them to him. As the one who rescues, as the one who heals, as the one who restores, as the one who recovers us from a broken life to a whole life. In Jesus' name.